open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. You'll find this on page 1176 in the, in the church Bibles. And as Liam's already prayed for us, let's uh, read, read it together. I'll read it to you. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. Well, there are two uh, basic commands in this passage, and you don't need a sort of theological degree to work out uh, those two commands, I don't think. Wives are told to submit to their husbands, and husbands are called to love their wives. It's an easy thing to state, but the truth is, is that sometimes we struggle to hear what is said, because what we're hearing is the distortion of perhaps our own experiences, or maybe the distortion of the kind of the values of the culture that we live in. And what we really need is if, if we want to have a uh, Christian view of marriage, we need to see how uh, Christ is to be at the center of marriage and how the gospel motivates a Christian marriage. So firstly, let's think about it. Wives submit, which is really what goes on in verses 22 to 24. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. Now that word submit, it doesn't have good overtones for us, does it? As soon as you say it, it sort of implies some sort of inferiority. And I think it rings to most minds just the, the idea of sort of forced submission. But the word used here uh, in the original language has the sense of voluntary submission and that there is no inferiority involved in this statement at all. Genesis chapter 1 makes it clear that uh, man and woman are co-equally uh, made in the image of God, that they have equal dignity and value and worth. And then you get to chapter 2 and you'll see that although they are equal, that there are different roles given to the man and the woman. And this is just true in life. I mean, let's imagine a situation with me. Uh, this is not dissimilar to something that actually happened. Uh, I'm driving along Melville Drive, uh, admiring the meadows, and uh, as, I, as I drive along, I see a woman indicating that she wants me to stop the car and pull over to the side, and she's going to start asking me questions about where my driving license is. 
check my tax disc, uh, check whether my car is roadworthy, and ask me about my insurance. Now, if this woman is wearing a police uniform, I would be very wise to submit to her authority, don't you think? I could, of course, ignore her and keep driving on and take my chances. But you would be wise to submit to authority. Now, if I was to pull off and uh, answer her questions, does that imply that I'm inferior to her? I don't think so. But I am submitting to the authority that she has by virtue of her role uh, as a police uh, woman. There is a God-given ordering of human relationships, the Bible says. As we're going to see next week, children are called to submit, uh, to obey to their parents. Here we see that wives are told to submit to their husbands. Elsewhere we read in, say, Romans 13, that Christians are called to submit to the governing authorities who rule over us. And, and none of that uh, submission uh, robs us of our dignity, our value, or our worth as human beings, but they're merely recognizing that there are different roles that we all play in life. Um, I think the passage that makes this clearest is just considering the only uh, account we have of Jesus as a boy, and you read of it in Luke's gospel. Remember the absolute panic that Mary and Joseph have as they thought that Jesus was amongst the crowd heading back up to uh, Nazareth. They discover he's not. Three days of desperate searching. Three days. Can you imagine that panic? I mean, if you've lost your kid for an hour, it's desperate. Three days. And where do they find Jesus? They find him in the temple. And he's asking questions of the teachers, and they're astonished at his learning and his, uh, his uh, maturity. And they say to him, come on, son, we're heading home. So here is the Son of God in human flesh, the sinless Son of God. And yet, the Bible records, he submits to his sinful parents. He obeys them. He goes with them. And it says all through his life, he's obedient to his parents. Now, does this imply that Jesus is inferior? Not at all. In fact, he's superior in every way. And yet, he willingly submits. So, I just want to make that point. In biblical understanding, submission is not a a word that robs people of their dignity, value, or their worth. So, wives are called to voluntarily submit themselves to their husbands. And there are two reasons given here, aren't there? Firstly, in verse 23... Why should submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So this submission flows out of Christian discipleship. It is out of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, back to my situation. I mean, the reason for stopping uh, for the police is not because uh, that individual is somehow superior to me, but because I'm recognizing their greater authority that is invested in them for what they represent. And that's similar in marriage. Ultimately, the wife submits because of her reverence to Christ. She is honoring and respecting the Lord by submitting to her husband. Um, Whether the husband's doing a good job or a not-so-good job, her submission is focused on her relationship to Christ. And of course, this also puts limits on her submission too, doesn't it? Because if the husband asks of her to do things that are wrong then her obedience to Christ is, is the ultimate. And so at those times, you will have to say no out of submission to Christ. It's a bit like that situation where the apostles um, were kind of taken by the authorities 
in Acts chapter 5, and they, uh, uh, the authorities tell them, stop preaching about Jesus being raised from the dead. We just stop it. And how do they respond? They said, well, we must obey God rather than men. And so, of course, we seek to obey the state uh, right up to that point at which the state says that we need to do something that's contrary to the Lord's will. And similarly for wives, they should seek to be uh, submissive to their husbands up to that point where he may ask them to do something that's contrary to God's words. So that's the first reason uh, that, that the wife is called to submit as to the Lord. Second reason in verse 23, because of the headship of the husband. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. Wayne Grudem, who is a, uh, a uh, theologian, a um, biblical studies guy, he did a word study for this word head in all Greek literature, over 2,000 references. And every single time he chased up this word kephale, head, guess what it meant? It meant authority. And this text, rather than explaining why the husband is the head, it just kind of presents it as a fact. He is the head. Uh, you'd have to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 or 1 Timothy 2 to see the argument that Paul gives for why the husband is the, the head. And he argues it from creation. Uh, he argues that the woman was made after the man, that the woman came out of man, and the woman was for man. And so the husband is given this God-given role of authority within the marriage relationship, and it is not sort of chauvinism. It's not uh, culturally driven. Uh, it is the rule ordained by God out of his very creation order. But notice here that Paul also describes this sort of authority that, that is God-given with, 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 with the gospel. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, this is so important to grasp. This is the sort of headship that the Bible is talking about. You know, people say, well, that's what I'm talking about. Well, this is the sort of headship the Bible is talking about. It is the headship that is like Christ, who is the Savior of his body. Jesus came as the Son of Man with all authority, and yet he says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the sort of headship that the Bible is talking about is, is a headship that is a God-given authority to serve. To serve. Uh, the Sandhurst Military Academy, their motto is this, serve to lead. Serve to lead. That is a very biblical concept as they train their officers. Their role as officers is to uh, lead by serving those who are under their command. See, authority is given not for self-serving perks, but as a responsibility to serve and care for those under your authority. And so the husband who uses his authority to act as a sort of a, a tyrant king, um, who expects every whim and desire to be met slavishly by his spouse, he is not being a biblical head of his house. He is being a selfish and unchristlike head of his house. To go into marriage expecting your wife to be like your mother who did everything for you uh, is to remain in a sort of an immature adolescence. As we're going to see, 
Uh, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and her father. You've left your mother, right? Those days are over. Now you've got a, you've got a wife. Totally different kettle of fish. Headship for the husband is a God-given role to serve. To serve. And the responsibility of the wife is to submit herself under the husband's care. Look at verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, do you see from verse 24, again, how this is not culturally relative? See, as long as the church is called to voluntarily submit to Christ, rather than Christ submitting to the church, then wives are called to submit to their husband's care. And in what realms? In everything. It speaks of in every area of life. Just as there are no bits of the, uh, the Christian life that we should not submit under the lordship of Christ then there are no areas of life where the wife should not be seeking to submit to her husband's care. Now I want to make it very clear this morning that a wife should not continue to submit to an abusive husband who is not caring for her, but rather causing physical and emotional harm. This is speaking of submitting to a husband's loving care. And if that's your situation of, your, of, of experiencing, actually, instead of loving care, uh, hurtful leadership that's abusive, then I would encourage you to bring your elder into that. Speak to someone on the staff team so we could see how we can come alongside and be a help because that is not a normal, healthy marriage. And even as you hear me say submit, I don't want you to hear me say submit to abuse. That's not the Bible's teaching at all. Can I just point out to the single women here today who want to get married, choose very wisely who you marry. Because if you want to be a Christian wife, you're going to have to obey this. You're going to have to submit to your husband. And if this man right now does not freely talk about the gospel of the Lord Jesus or show any desire to live uh, a godly life, be warned. If if before, you know, before you get married, this man does not express any obvious care or concern for your own walk with Christ, be warned. If, if, if he doesn't respect your desire to live a godly and holy life before your engagement, be warned. Even if he looks like Brad Pitt, be warned. He is unlikely to suddenly change when you get married. And if, if, if you're commanded to submit him, choose very carefully who you marry. So, wives submit, but secondly, husbands love. That's what's going on, verse 25 to 33. About 44 words for the wife, about 101 for the men. Do you see where the focus is on responsibility here? Now, note that Paul doesn't make the obvious counterpoint. Wives submit, husbands take charge, rule, be the boss. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? Well, three times, because Paul knows that as men, we we need it really underlined. He says, love, 
love. Look at verse 24. Husbands, love your wives. You weren't paying attention. Verse 28. Husbands ought to love their wives. Oh, you're still a bit sleepy. Verse 33. Each one of you also must love his wife. What are husbands supposed to do? Love. Even then, some of you weren't sure. Love. Love. Husbands, do your wives know that you love them? Is it clear from our words, our actions, our care, that we love them? Now, it may be possible someone's sitting here today and you might be saying in your heart, well, if you know what I had to put up with, Paul, my wife is so difficult. In fact, I think I married the wrong one. I've heard that more than once from a Christian man. Do you know what? I just think I married the wrong one. Now, see, our culture just sings and celebrates love as a kind of a physical feeling, as an emotional buzz. And Hollywood is forever telling us that there's just that one special soulmate out there, just the one. And when you find them, you're going to be in this intoxicating love forever. And marriage is easy when you find that one. So if you're not experiencing that with your current one, ditch them. Find that soulmate. It is straight from the sulfur of hell, that concept. While the Bible does talk about love physically and, uh, and uh, the, the joy and the buzz of emotion, love in the Bible is a decision of the will. That's why three times he commands it. Oh, you, you can't command your emotions and uh, your physiological feelings, Paul. Well, yes, but you can. It's a decision. Love. Love your wives, whether the feelings and physiology is there or not. Love your wives. Now, what does love look like? What are we talking about? Well, there's two measures of love given in the text here, aren't they? Firstly, the love of Christ for his church. See, the model of true love is the gospel. Uh, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Love with the love of Christ. Now consider how incredible is the love of the Lord Jesus for his church. He loved her. He gave himself up for her to sanctify her having cleansed her, to present her to himself as a glorious and perfect bride. And it seems as if the imagery that's taken up here is that of Ezekiel 16 that was read to us earlier. This picture of the Lord entering into this covenant of marriage with Israel. How uh, there's this bridal bath as uh, she's washed and cleansed and she, is, uh, she has perfume put on her and she's clothed with beautiful clothes and she has jewelry and a crown is placed on her head and because of the love of the Lord uh, this child that was abandoned and loved and uncared for becomes the most beautiful woman in the world it's a beautiful picture and the Lord does it I have given you because of the splendor I have given you and made you your beauty perfect declares the sovereign Lord you know one of the reasons the Lord gave us uh, men and women and gave us marriage is so that we could understand the depths of his love for his people. It's to give us categories so we can understand the greatness of the love of the Lord. 
Through his love, he makes them beautiful, it says there. And that language of Ezekiel 16 is just taken up by Paul, and, 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 and he heightens it, doesn't it? How is this uh, bride-to-be bathed and cleansed and made ready? It is through the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus. He gave himself up for her. The ultimate sacrifice. That his death on the cross is the means by which we are washed and cleansed of our sin. uh, Made right with God. We are adorned with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That his sacrificial work in our lives is taking us on a journey that will lead to a final reveal day where the church will be the most beautiful girl in town. In fact, the only stunning reality left in the universe. It is amazing, isn't it? That's the sort of love we're talking about, husbands. We're talking about that sort of love. A love that is described as a long-term relationship. From the moment that he sets his love upon the bride, all the way through to the final glorious reveal at the end of time. It's a long-term commitment. And here is love that is costly, that is heroic, that is sacrificial. And here is love that, that works to see their bride holy and blameless before God. You see, when Israel, what did, they, what did Israel do with its beauty? Well, you can read on Ezekiel 16. I'm not sure we could even read it in church. The language of prostitution actually being cheaper than prostitutes. The horror of what God's people became. And yet death of the Lord Jesus is the means by which a perfect and holy and blameless bride will in fact be created and when we hear the gospel what we're hearing from the Lord Jesus is the words I love you to his church I love you will you take yes and this language of uh, I guess baptism is a picture of this washing isn't it uh, the, the, the baptism, uh, because we're good Baptists, we have a tub. I've never had a bath where some sprinkling goes on. This was a side note. This wasn't even in there. But there we are. We, we go full immersion. We're going in the bathtub. It is a picture of the cleansing that is affected by the cross of Christ. It has happened to each one of us. In America, there was this TV show. I'm not sure it ever happened in the UK. Probably not. But in the, it was called Extreme Makeover. And you've probably seen shows where they sort of take a girl who doesn't quite have the right clothes to wear and they take her to some fashion consultant who tells her to dress better and and, and look the best that she can look. But Extreme Makeover takes it another notch. It takes takes someone, let's say, at at best she looks plain. Teeth kind of spread out all over the place, you know, crusty skin, looking pretty flabby, not looking in a prime. And then they, they, they take her to the cosmetic surgeon. And the cosmetic surgeon sucks that fat out here, puts fat elsewhere, and does all sorts of amazing things. And then he goes to the cosmetic dentist, and the dentist takes the teeth that are splayed everywhere and, and gives them some pearly white teeth. 
And then, and then she goes uh, to, the, to the fitness regime who sort of gets her back to health and fitness. And then she goes to get the hair consultant and the beautician. And then she gets a lot of money to go to the expensive clothes shops and she's dressed out. And this woman that at the beginning you wouldn't really have looked at on the street walks out in the final reveal as just this babe. And, and you know, the husband's going, I can't believe it. <laughs> The family's saying, where's our daughter? You know, is, you, you, did you have a show like this over here? It's in America we had it. It was crazy, crazy show. It was, it was, it was, um, there we are. Well, on the final day, the church will be a beautiful bride. And this is not going to be about conforming to some sort of body shape or some Hollywood idea of pearly white teeth. This is about blamelessness and holiness. All sin will be Removed, all blemishes and wrinkles will be gone. A glorious, radiant bride for Christ. That will be the church. All achieved. So, you know, in the extreme makeover, what, what, what does the girl do? Not a lot, to be quite honest. It's all done to her. Same with the church. This is what Christ is doing. This is what he will accomplish. This is what he will achieve. I was very encouraged today at the thought that actually, however bad I am as a pastor, the Lord's going to get the job done. It's terrific, isn't it? I'm in a job where the Lord's going to fix it all up at the end. Terrific. This is the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. He is the ultimate bridegroom that all husbands are called to be like. Love that commits to long-term relationship. Love that is costly, self-sacrificing, heroic. Love that works to see their bride grow in true spiritual beauty. See, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the model of loving servant leadership. And I want to encourage the men today that the gospel is also the power for such loving servant leadership. The gospel is there not only to save us, but to sanctify us. And it's the Lord who achieves this extreme makeover. It is by his Holy Spirit that he gives us grace and power to be the husbands that we are called to be. So that's the first measure. And if that sounds high and lofty, I I love the way that Paul earths it for blokes in the second one, in verse 28. Love your wife like you care for your own body. And that idea maybe is too big for you. Well, check this idea out. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, he loves his wife, loves himself. Very practical, isn't it? How do you love yourself? Well, healthy, normal people feed themselves, clothe themselves, and they take care of their bodies. Well, loving your wife means feeding and caring for her the way you feed and care for yourself. I think it sounds terribly old-fashioned, but I want to say it anyway. According to the Bible, the job of the man is to provide for his wife. Now, it's fine if if the wife wants to go out and work as well, but the primary responsibility to provide is upon the husband. And it boils down to everyday decisions, this kind of uh, caring for your wife like you care for yourself. You know, you're making the coffee in the morning, and uh, you've got two mugs, and uh, you'd prefer the non-chipped mug. Well, give it to your wife. You'd prefer it, wouldn't you? So give it to her. Better that you get the cut lip. That's the right response for husbands, isn't it? To love their wife, those they would love themselves. Because the point is, she is 
your own flesh. Look at verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Uh, Wayne Grudem, as I mentioned earlier, this professor of uh, theology and biblical studies, he currently lectures in Phoenix, Arizona. But it's a great story of how he got there. He originally was a lecturer at Trinity Evangelical Deerfield, which is probably a more prestigious theological college uh, just outside Chicago. His wife, Margaret, suffers very badly with arthritis. And she noticed when they visited Arizona a few times that her pain was far less when she went to Arizona. It was a much drier climate, and arthritis didn't hurt her as much. And so she said to her husband, Wayne, honey, do you know of any theological colleges where you could teach in Arizona? And he thought to himself, I'm in Trinity. Why would I want to go there? I'm in, I'm in the top job. But as he prayed about it and thought about it, he thought, well, do you know what? If my body hurt me as much as her arthritis hurts her, would I not move to Arizona? And he resolved for the Lord that he would love her like he loved his own body. And she uh, sort of delicately gave him a phone number of an hardly known theological college and he rang up and he said, is there any chance of you might have a job? And they said, we'll, we'll make you a job. You know. <laughs> and, well, there we are. That, that's very practical, isn't it? Loving your wife like you love yourself. The profound mystery of verse 32 flows from this point. You see, Christ's bride and Christ's body are the same. This statement, the two will become one flesh, was actually written... Uh, Paul says, and he reveals this profound mystery, it is written about Christ and his church. We are members of his body. This was the profound thing Paul discovered on, on, the, uh, on the road to Damascus, wasn't it? As uh, he lay there, blinded in the, on, on the sand, the voice of the Lord Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the penny dropped. To persecute his church is to cause Christ to suffer because it is his body. God gave us this gift of marriage to help us understand this primary reality of Christ's union with his church. It's not saying Christ's union with his church is a bit like marriage. It's saying marriage is a bit like Christ's union with his church. That's what's primary. And it's to enable us to understand how deep is the commitment of God's love. Before marriage, two individuals um, uh, stand separate, but then marriage unites them into a new complex unity of one flesh, and everything is shared. This is such glorious theology when you grasp it and apply it to your life. Just think about Kate Middleton, the middle-class commoner, as they call her, uh, used to call her. Do you remember, did you, did you watch it? A few, few million watched it. Uh, where she was joined in marriage to Prince William and has now become, because of virtue of that marriage, has become the Duchess of Cambridge. And all that William owned and would one day inherit when, 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 he, when, when, when the, uh, the bishop said, will you take this woman? And she said, yes. And will you take this man? Oh, yes, she says. At that very moment, everything that was his was hers. And everything that was hers was his and so she uh, inherits all his cash and in fact one day perhaps even will become the queen 
Because that's what marriage does. That's the way marriage works. Two lives are joined together. And, and now all that Christ, all that, who Christ is and all that Christ has accomplished belongs to his church because we are his body. What did we bring into this relationship? Nothing. Why would he show his love to such an ugly bride? Had nothing to offer but our sin. And yet he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness, his holiness, his, uh, his redemption. He is the head over all things for the body, we saw earlier in Ephesians. His rule and authority over all things. I mean, being king or queen of, of, of Great Britain is one thing. To be uh, uh, married to the one who's the sovereign ruler over all things, well, that's where we're talking about a different league here, aren't we? So husbands, we should treat our wives as we would want the best for ourselves. Do our wives know that we cherish them above all others? Do, do, do we seek to provide for them and put their needs uh, above our own or at the very least on the same level as our own? That is Christian marriage. And it's summarized there in verse 33. Two words, love and respect. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Men, can I say to you today, from God's word, lovingly lead your wives, following the example of Christ. And to the women, from God's word, let me tell you, joyfully submit to your husbands out of reverence to Christ. The truth is, is that we all struggle in fulfilling our biblical roles. In my preparation, I was just aware of so many ways that I've uh, let the side down in the Reese household. But you know what? We are called to pursue our biblical roles out of reverence to Christ and because it will be a great witness to the world. When we pursue uh, a Christ-centered, gospel-driven marriage, then our, our marriage will be a witness to our children and to our community uh, as a pale reflection of this great love of Christ for his church. Your marriage has that much significance. It's not just about your personal happiness. It's about the glory of Christ revealing to the world. I would say that the tendency for men in our current culture is for men not to step up to the role of leadership in their marriage and families. But I want to say to you, men, God has given you this role. Consider your Lord and Savior and consider his glorious gospel. It will be a source of great joy to your wives if you will take the spiritual lead in your marriage and in your family. And the tendency for women is to be anxious about submitting to their husbands and become fearful of giving up control. And so you avoid thinking about it. But if you will consider the Lord Jesus Christ and out of reverence for him, joyfully submit to your husbands, you will discover the blessings of obedience. And also you may find that you'll encourage your husband to take more of a lead. I think if a husband's being sensible, very rarely does it really come down to the crunch decision where you have to make the final call because you'll talk it all out. I remember there was one decision and it was the decision about whether we should go to America and take this job 
uh, as a pastor in, in Spokane, Washington. And it became clear to me in the process that I thought the Lord was leading us to go and that we should do it. And yet it was clear to me too that my wife really didn't want to go. And it came down to a crunch phone call. And I looked at my wife and thought, well, if she's not willing to go, uh, I need to love her and stay here. And so I phoned up uh, the, the chap in Spokane. I said, uh, I, you know, we're a team. My wife's not, his heart's not settled to it. Um, we're not going to come. And uh, he went to bed that night with the news that we weren't going to come. Well, because we're eight hours ahead, we went on through the rest of the day. I, I, I went back into bed after making this call and showed him, said, what are we doing? I said, well, I've just decided we're not going to go. I don't think we're on the same page. We, we'll stay. Well, as they went on, towards the end of that day, Shona came to me and she said, Paul, I've been thinking about this all day, she said, and I've always wanted to be a wife who's willing to submit. And if you have been willing to love me enough to say no, then I'm willing to submit and go. I'm at peace at going. So I called him back up and said, we woke up the next morning, called him up, actually, we're good to go. I want to give you some homework if you're married today. In your bulletin, you'll see a little handout. And I want to suggest to you that you will make a date with your spouse uh, over this next week and take time to talk through these questions together. There's questions for wives to ask husbands and husbands to ask wives. And um, why don't you commit to a, an hour of all distractions going away and have a conversation together and then pray together about what you've discussed. Let's pray, shall we?